You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Thank you for being here. Psalm chapter 11. Let's j- jump right in. And uh, Psalm chapter 11, we'll try to get into the scripture here and just challenge our hearts this morning with something very, very simple, really. And, but yet very, uh, as you'll find out, as we see here, foundational. And uh, in honor of God's word, if you're able, let's stand together, if you would, please, in honor of God's good book. Aren't you glad you got a Bible? Amen. I ran across these folks out in North Carolina. The, the, what's their name, sweetie? The Rains. She wrote the song, uh, We Need the Church. I don't know if you've heard that yet. Boy, what a great song. And then she also wrote the song, I Have a Bible. And uh, wow, it'll make you shout. It really will. I tell you what, the singing this morning was, was just outstanding through the roof and uh, just excited about the fact that this is all temporary. One of these days, we got a mansion over the hilltop. Wonderful. Verse number one, in the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain. For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? I want to speak this morning on the subject of preserving society's foundations. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. I'm so thankful that I have a Bible and that it is your word. It doesn't contain your word. It is your word from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. We have a perfectly preserved, inspired book, and I'm thankful for it. God, would you honor your word this morning? You don't need to honor me or any other man or woman in this room. But Lord, we ask you to honor your word. You've placed it above all your name, you said. And I pray your spirit will help us and teach us this morning. And Lord, challenge our hearts and bless the preaching to come. Thank you for all these preachers who've come in and the other folks who are here from a distance in this this very hospitable church. I pray that you'll, Lord, make their effort and work and expense uh, profitable this morning as we get into the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As you see from the heading of this psalm, David is the human pen of the words that came from God. And he wrote this psalm at the time when King Saul turned on him in great wrath and attempted to kill him. I don't think I have to bring you up to date on all of that. I think verse 2 is a direct reference to Saul's attempts to kill David. The wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. You remember Saul gathered some of his soldiers and hunted for David as a man, the Bible says, would hunt for a partridge. If you've ever done bird hunting on a cold morning when those birds are sitting tight and you have to eat a dog or just about kick them out of their roosting place. So they were looking under every bush behind every rock. In fact, 1 Samuel chapter 26 and verse 2, the Bible says there were 3,000 men gathered with Saul to hunt for David. Now you think about that, 3,000 versus one and a few hundred that David had with him. And the truth is that Saul's government was crumbling. His kingly administration was a disaster. He himself was fighting uh, temporary bouts of insanity, if you will. I think brought on by his bitterness and his jealousy. And that's what bitterness and jealousy will do to you. That's not the message. It will affect you physically if you don't deal with it and let God cleanse you of it. Now, the Lord had predicted this whole scenario, this whole dilemma. He had told his prophet Samuel when they wanted a king 
and God gave him Saul, he, he told Samuel, you be truthful about what it's going to be like if they get a king. And Samuel, he laid out the truth about what would eventually happen uh, when they got a king. But you remember the story, the people were determined to be like other nations. That's what they said. And they got their king and they got the mess that God said would come with that king. And, you know, folks, we have the same element in our land today, this global-minded socialist crowd that wants the USA to be like all other nations. That's what they've wanted for a long, long time, and they're getting more of their way than they ever have had in the past. And, folks, you understand the worst thing that could happen to the United States of America is if we become like other nations. I'm not against other nationalities, not against other ethnicities, but we don't need to be like France. And we don't need to be like Germany. We don't need to be like Russia. We don't need to be like Great Britain. We don't need to be like Japan. We were started differently. And our strength in part has been in the fact that we have not been like other nations. Really haven't been. The starting of the U.S. United States of America was, was fundamentally different. Really was. And of course, you know, based on the word of God, no doubt about it. But anyway, in verse 3, David asks a sober question. He said, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So here's David, and he's watching the foundations of law and justice that were crumbling under Saul's unstable leadership. And, and David said, you know, in that case, what can the righteous do? It's almost like he's saying, in other words, once the foundation of lawful morality and justice and equity and so forth are destroyed, turned down, crumbled, broken up, there is not a lot the righteous can do. And I was looking at this verse and kind of praying about it one day some years ago, and I thought you know, to myself, what is, when you talk about the foundations, what are the foundations of a society? What, what is the pillar? What is the support? What is the bedrock on which a society of people rests? And the Holy Spirit uh, brought to mind that we don't need to speculate a guess as to what the foundations, uh, the, found, the elements involved in the foundation of a society of people. We don't have to speculate as to what those are. We have a record of the first society of people and the foundations that were a part of it recorded for us in Genesis chapter 2. So let's turn there this morning, Genesis chapter 2, with that thought in mind, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And uh, you know, folks, when you, when you build a building, when you build a house of any kind of uh, a, 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 a commercial or a, a residential, doesn't matter, you start with the foundation. That's what you start with, all right? Now, in Genesis chapter 2, in verse number seven, the first man was created. Adam, breathed, Adam was created. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. And then in the rest of this chapter, we have listed for us the elements that were involved in this foundation of the very first society that ever existed. Look at verse number 15. You see the first element. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. In that very first foundation, what the first element of the foundation of society was the element of work. God gave man work to do. 
People, work is one of the foundations of our society. God created work. A healthy work ethic is one of the foundations of society. And by the way, can I remind us that this was in a perfect environment? A perfect environment. Some people think that perfect environment, there would be no work. But in a perfect environment, God gave man work to do. The second element is found in verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. So you got the element of work. Then in this verse, these verses you find the element of authority. Somebody made the rules. Somebody drew the boundaries. Somebody set the parameters. There was authority in the Garden of Eden. Again, in a, a perfect environment. Sin doesn't come into the picture until chapter 3. So we're in a perfect world right now. So God gave man work and God gave man authority. Okay, there was somebody that was there. Somebody making authority, doing the rules. The third element is found in verses 18 through 23. I won't take the time to read all the way down through these, this passage, but it is the element of marriage. And it's one of the most interesting passages to me uh, about marriage because basically God says it's not good that man shall be alone. I'll make him a helpmeet for him. And, and then he brings all the beasts of the field before Adam to see what he would call them. And he said, Adam, whatever you call them is what they're going to be named, what they're going to be called. And I, fellas, we get to heaven someday. One of the first things we need to do is walk up to Adam, find him, walk up to him, shake his hand, and thank him that in all those beasts, he never named any of them woman or wife. So none of those would do. And so God put him to sleep and took his rib and made the crowning act of creation woman and brought Eve to Adam and God performed the first wedding ceremony there in the Garden of Eden when he put Adam and Eve together. So, so far in this first uh, society, the foundation, the elements that make up the foundation of this first society, we've got work, we've got authority, we've got marriage. And then you come to verses 24 and 25. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now even though the command to multiply and bear children and replenish the earth is not directly stated in these verses, it is implied. A man leaves his father and mother, takes a wife, and they become their own building block of society and bear children and the process just repeats itself. Now, people, this is the beginning of society. This is where it started. This is the foundation. God created man, and in that foundation, when he created man, there was work, there was authority, there was marriage, and there was family. Question. Are any of those under attack in our country today? 100%. Work is in the crosshairs. Authority is in the crosshairs. Marriage is in the crosshairs. The family is in the... These are the elements that went into the foundation of society, the pillars. 
These are the bedrock on which society rests. People, when you start messing around with any of those four elements, you are undermining the foundation of a society. You know, if a house loses a piece of sight, we had a hailstorm three or four years ago and pretty good sized hail, and it put some holes in the vinyl siding on my house. Now, you know, uh, that needs to be taken care of. It needs to be fixed. But you know what? If there is a crack in the foundation of my basement, I'm really in a hurry to get that fixed. I can make do with a couple of holes in the vinyl siding for a while, but I don't want that cracked foundation to get any worse because the whole house rests on that foundation. I remember when we built our first building up there, uh, Brother Starr, and added on to the, the old square building you remember as a boy, and we put the auditorium on. We had a man who worked up in Chicago uh, as a field supervisor for Walsh Construction. It was a, it was a nationwide construction company doing, uh, doing commercial buildings, and he didn't work on, on $1 million projects. He worked on $10 million and $30 million projects and oversaw them out in the field from start to finish, and so he was a great asset, a great help to us. I didn't know anything hardly about building, and he watched over the, 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 the blueprints and the work every day, and he was a stickler on the foundation. He drove our architect crazy. He drove our general contractor crazy. Didn't bother me at all because I did have enough sense to understand that the found, you don't mess with the foundation. That's got to be right. So David asked if the foundations be destroyed. What can the righteous do? You know, you think about the, the, the Sodom and Gomorrah and how God destroyed them and people associate the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah with homosexuality. But folks, that really was just a part of it. You know, in Ezekiel chapter 16, the Bible tells us that Sodom experienced an, abundant, an abundance of idleness. There's a poor work ethic right there. The Bible also tells us in Ezekiel 16 that Sodom was full of pride. Now, what is the wrong response to authority? The wrong response to authority is rebellion. What is the fuel of rebellion? Pride. Remember the original sin didn't take place in the Garden of Eden. The original sin took place in the very throne room of God where Lucifer, the praise and worship angel of heaven, if you will, with tablets and pipes created in his very being who walked upon the stones of fire. Maybe somebody can correct me, but as I learned about, think about the stones of fire, read about it in the Bible, it sounds to me like those stones of fire in the very throne room of God. So I think Lucifer was probably the angelic being who had the closest access to the very throne room of God in charge of all that holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. What happened to him? Iniquity was found in his heart. What kind of iniquity? I will. I will. I will. I will. I will. It was all pride. It was all self-will. Folks, you know, you think about this. We are never more like the devil than when we exercise our will over God's will. It's exactly what he did. Pride. So they had a pride there and abundance of idleness and, and they had pride and then the, the rebellion to authority. And then, of course, they had the Sodomites. And when you got the Sodomites, marriage is gone and the family is gone. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah's foundations were completely crumbled. The work ethic, authority, the marriage institution and the family were just absolutely destroyed 
And look what happened to them. And again, I ask us this morning, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And people, the only hope the righteous have, and when I mean righteous, I mean those who are saved, born again, people of God. If you're here this morning and you never come to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith and trusted him as your personal savior, that's the very first thing that needs to get settled in your life. And you're in a place where you can get that settled this morning. Somebody can take the Bible and show you from the word of God how you can become a born again child of God, trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, whatever the righteous do, we better do before the foundations are destroyed. Somebody says, that's right, Brother Angel, I agree with you 100%. That's why we better start churches and we better build bus routes and have discipleship classes and win souls and, and have good schools and have the right standards. People, I am, I am for all the above. We practice all of that at our church. But we better, we better give some attention to the elements that create, that make up the foundation of society. Because liberal America is at war with all four of these elements. All four of them. And I, I have no political agenda. This is not a conservative soapbox. I have some Bible verses that tell me what the elements that make up a, a, a foundation of society are, and I have the same Bible tells me, that if those elements are destroyed, the righteous are in trouble as a nation. I don't mean individually losing your salvation or the blessing of God. I mean as a nation. So whatever the righteous can do better be done before the foundations are destroyed. So what can the righteous do? This is so simple, it's pathetic, but here we go. Number one, the righteous need to strengthen our work ethic. The righteous need to strengthen our work ethic. You know what we need to do, brethren? I'm talking to men especially here this morning. Quit complaining about work. You young men, you teenage young men, teenage young ladies who have parents that make you work around, quit complaining about work. Quit complaining about the chores. Quit complaining about the responsibilities. We need to stop complaining about work. We need to realize that work is more important to us, more value. Work, it's, there is more value in work itself than what you and I get paid for it. That's the honest truth. If you get paid nothing for it, it's still valuable because it's work. God gave Adam something to do, something to work with, dress this garden, keep this garden, again, in a perfect society. And we need to teach our kids it's more important to have a good work ethic than what you get paid for. I, I'm not against kids learning how to make money and handle money and save money and tithe and tithe and tithe and tithe, amen. Not against all that, but people, if they don't get a dime for it, there's still value in the fact that you teach them to work, to work hard, to do the job right, to finish the job. Anybody in here owns their own business, you know that right now the problem in America is you can't get anybody to work. You can't get anybody to show up. For years, I've tried to challenge the, the teenagers of our church when they started to get old enough to get out and get a job and get some work. And, the, you know, the, the, the Sunday work issue is a huge hurdle right now. 
In my opinion, just my opinion, I have no Bible for this, but in my opinion, the, most, the biggest hurdle new converts have is that 90% of them, Brother Che, work on Sunday. It's, hurt, it's a huge hurdle. And so you got these kids that need to probably, you know, going to go to college and they need to start saving a little money for college. And uh, you do what you want to at our, at our church. We don't encourage them to go off to college if they got no money. Go off to money, go off to college with no money and end up in debt in the first year of school and behind financially and then they're in a mess. Well, maybe you don't agree with that. That's fine. It's your opinion. But that's what, and so we, they, they've got to start working. And I tried to tell them, look, the greatest leverage you will have with your employer is if you just work hard. Because the other folks aren't going to do it. They'll apply for a job. The guy will agree to hire them, sign their application, and the next morning they won't even be there. It's insanity. And then when they do show up, they don't work. Got to have a break, a break, 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 break. Man, I remember years ago, we had a teenage young lady. She took a job uh, down the road from the church there at a little, sweet, a little uh, candy store called Sweet Street. And, uh, you know, I'm talking to her dad. And when she took the job, the dad was very good dad. He said, you tell him you cannot work Sundays. You just cannot work Sundays. And I told, I told him, I said, listen, if she will be the best worker in the place, she won't have any trouble getting Sundays off. Sure enough, the day came, he called me. Pastor, he said, uh, down at the Sweet Street, the boss has asked so-and-so to work this Sunday. He said just one time, yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. One time becomes two, two becomes four, you're, you're done. Yeah. And I said, well, brother, I said, I would just tell your daughter to tell him, when I, you hired me, I told you I was not going to work Sundays. And I said, if she's been a good worker, she'll keep her job. And guess what? She kept her job. He's got, much, he's got that much sense. I'm not going to fire somebody who comes to work. Now, look, I'm all for starting, Sunday, starting churches, building Sunday school classes, soul winning efforts. But you know what? Once we get them here, we better teach them how to work. In our homes, we better teach them how to work. And our men, our dads and moms need to be a, 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 a good example of knowing how to work. I remember, you know, we live, out, we live on a couple of acres right outside of town, about four and a half miles out from the church, just outside of town. And we were blessed. I understand we were blessed because right up the road from us, quarter mile north of our house, is, is a dairy farmer. And you get outside of, of the Kankakee Bradley Bourbon A Tri-City area, it's all farmland. Soybeans, corn, everything. And he had, a, he had a small dairy farm. And he used to have, he used to milk like 90 head, but it was only down, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 head. When I went, I went up there with Ben, Ben was 11 years old, and I told John, the farmer, I said, John, you have anything that you could, around the farm here, that you could hire, hire Ben to do uh, just on a daily basis? And he said, yeah, I, I think I could. I think I could use a boy like that. I said, now, you can't work Wednesday night, can't work Sunday. But he's available through, you know, after school the rest of the time. And so, and he said yes. And then Ben got in the car and I told John, I said, now, John, don't make him rich. And I wish I hadn't said that because John took me up on that. <laughs> I think he paid Ben maybe a dollar or two a week. <laughs> he was a tight farmer. <laughs> and I think he paid Ben, was that right, sweetie? Or Yeah, about a dollar. Was it a week? It might have been a day. It might have been a day. I can't remember, but it wasn't much. And I mean, he's mucking out stalls. 
and throwing hay bales and working on a farm. And even though he didn't make a lot of money, it didn't bother me because there's value in learning how to work. So I, I, I just have a hard time because create work. I went by the farm one day, headed somewhere, and noticed them tearing down a built, tearing down one of the barns, old barns, stacking, piling all the wood up there. I stopped, I talked to Justin John, what are you going to do with that wood? He said, I'm going I'm to put it on, set it on fire, burn it. I said, got a bunch of nails and screws in it? He said, yeah, fill, fill with nails. I said, can a couple of my kids, gonna, can they come up and just pull the nails and take the screws out for you before you set it on fire? He said, I'm going to burn it. I said, I don't care. It's summertime. And so they took their coolers of water, Ben and Abby. Went up the road there, hammer, screw gun. And they worked, taking those screws and nails out, stack them in another pile, got all finished. John set it on fire. <laughs> yeah, they burnt the wood. Yeah, I knew. I knew it all along. <laughs> but you say, well, that's extreme. Call it what you want to call it. But laziness is killing our country. It's killing our country. I'll move on from this in just a minute, but when we got ready to build our first building, you know, the blueprints were all made and everything, and a couple of the men in the church worked for Mead Electric Company, a big industrial electric company. They did, they did oil refineries and stuff like that, gas refineries up in the area. And one of the men came and he said, could I have the electrical plans I said, sure. He said, I'm going to take them to my supervisor, my boss. He said, because sometimes in the past they've been known to help nonprofit, church-related type projects. And a couple weeks later, he came back and he said, preacher, he said, you won't believe it. He said, Mike, that was the supervisor, Mike told me they will give us all the materials for this building, for the electrical drawings. They gave us panels, they gave us transformers, they gave us conduit, they gave us switches and outlets. I mean, think about the electrical th components in this building. They gave them to us. Do you understand that they not only charge you, but then the contractor who buys the parts does an upcharge on it to make some money. They saved us probably fifty-five dollars to $65,000. One of those men in the church who worked at Mead had eight children. He was sitting, turned a five-gallon bucket over, was sitting, in on it, sitting on it one morning at work during, doing some electrical work, had an aneurysm in his brain, dropped over dead. Eight kids. We had his funeral. And his supervisor from Mead, Mike, came to the funeral. I had written Mike a thank you note after he, we gave, they gave us all the material for the building. Now we're in it. We're having this funeral in this building that they gave us all the material for. And uh, the other brother that worked at Mead introduced Mike to me personally. He said, this is Mike. This is the man that gave us all the material. Again, I said, Mike, thank you. We're really enjoying the building. And he said, Pastor, he said, I'm going to tell you why we gave you that material. He said, Greg and Steve showed up at work every day, two of the hardest workers that we have, the most honest workers we have. And that's the reason we gave this church all those materials because of these two men right here and their work ethic. 
a sorry work ethic is like taking a jackhammer to a piece of concrete. It destroys part of the foundation of a society. We need to strengthen our work ethic. Cabot said to find one's work is to find one's place in the world. Edison said, I never did anything worth doing by accident, nor did any of my inventions come by accident. They came by work. Sassoon said the only place where success comes before work is in the dictionary. And that's the truth. We need to strengthen our work ethic. Number two, what do the righteous need to do? We need to accept authority. We need to accept authority. Our country is drowning in one big ocean of rebellion. And this Antifa and BLM and all this anti-police movement in our country today, it's stunning. It's absolutely stunning. And as bad as that is, in my opinion, what's worse is you can't hardly preach on authority in an independent Baptist church without the hair standing up on the back of some necks. There's something about our nature when it comes to authority. You see the sign that says, keep off the grass. What do you want to do? You want to go over and step on the grass. You just want, it's just in your, it's in our nature. But people, authority is necessary for civilization, a society of people to prosper. Somebody has to set the rules. And that's true at home. Wives. You may be more spiritual than your husband. You may have more character. I personally believe that 90% of men marry up. I married up. Brother Che married 10 times up. Amen. Brother Ogden married up. Amen. Miss Elizabeth, sweet lady. My wife, she's sitting here. She don't like this, but she's not preaching anyway this morning. Amen. She's a better Christian than I am. She has more, well, you don't have to say amen, brother, but anyway, that's all right. <laughs> that's true, you're right. She has more spiritual character than I have. She's a, she's a dear woman of God. But God didn't call her to lead the home. God called me to lead the home. You know what that means? She has to follow. She has to submit to authority. And in a church, God never put a committee together to lead a church. He called a shepherd. You don't hire a pastor. God gives you a pastor. And Ephesians 4 says that your pastor is a gift to the local church. Somebody's got to make the decisions. Somebody's got to set the boundaries. Somebody's got to set the rules. Somebody's got to make the judgment calls. And I'm positive, Brother Che, at 29 years, 29 years of age, that's young for a pastor. But God's blessed him. And I'm confident there's a lot of good men here that he probably leans on. But at times when decisions have to be made, as the shepherd, he needs to lead the flock. 
And you know what? If you stay in this church, and I'm talking now to the members of Heritage Baptist Church, if you stay in this church, there are going to be times when you look at his judgment call, his decision, you're going to think, what in the world? He's lost his mind. But you kind of look around. You know, since the transition from Pastor Atwood to Pastor Che, things are going pretty good. We're seeing new people come and seeing people saved. and Looks like the teenagers are doing pretty decent. And, and uh, the money's been given and we're supporting missionaries. Maybe, just maybe, I don't have to agree with every little decision or judgment call he makes. Amen. I'll tell you, we're real quick to condemn the rebellion that's out there in the streets of Seattle and Portland. But far more concerned to me is the rebellion that sometimes takes place in churches. There has to be a leader. Historically, and I believe with all of my heart that I can take my New Testament and prove to you that this thing of a plurality of elders leading the church is not biblical. James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And when they were having a conference and trying to decide what happened, everybody gave their opinion. But when James spoke, it was done. What you call that? You call that the leader, the shepherd. We need to accept authority. Accept authority, even when it rubs us the wrong way. Accept. And people, it's going to happen. He's not going to stay here as your pastor and in the church all these years without doing something or saying something that's just not going to sit well with you. Okay? There's some things that I do that don't sit well with me, myself. Afterwards, I'm asking myself, why in the stink did you do that? We need to accept authority. Amen. Number three, what do the righteous need to do? We need to strengthen our work ethic. We need to accept authority. Number three, the righteous need to build strong marriages. Strong marriages. We need to stop, you know, we're, we're, we're quick to yell that, you know, it's not Adam and Steve, it's Adam and Eve, bless God. We don't give, we don't give 10 minutes in a seven-day period to our marriage relationship. That's wrong. We need to build strong marriages. A lot of young couples in this church with children at home, teenagers and younger. And folks, if Jesus Christ stays in heaven and you continue to live and your children grow and go off to school and God gives them a mate and they move away, you're going to look across the breakfast table one morning and it's going to be you and mom, you and dad. And a lot of marriages fall apart. He said, Brother Angel, what's been the most discouraging part of being the pastor of Faith Baptist Church for 30 and a half years now? I'll tell you without hesitation. I'm ashamed to say it, but I'm transparent about it. We had an 18-month period years ago where five couples divorced. I almost, almost gave it up, brother. I said, I ain't doing this church any good. Oh, we were reaching people. 
seeing folks baptized, the attendance was good, offerings were good, but five marriages ended in divorce? And by the way, none of them had been married less than 20 years. Two of them had been married between 20 and 25. Two of them had been married between 25 and 30, and one of them had been married over 30 years. And divorced. Dad, mom, need to communicate. You could take all the responsibilities concerning marriage and the Word of God, and there is one verse that kind of boils it all down to the bottom line. That's Ephesians 5.33. That every one of you, men, I'm not quoting it perfectly right now, paraphrasing, love your wife. And it's odd to me that more than once in the Scripture, God has to tell a husband to love his own wife. I mean, isn't that why you get married? <laughs> you don't get married. Hey, look, I just need some help. I don't care what you look like or anything. Just come on and be my wife. That may happen somewhere out there, but that's not usually. You usually marry somebody that you have some affection and love for. So why does God have to tell a husband to love his wife? I'll tell you why, men. We're made to conquer and move on. And conquer and accomplish and move on. And you meet a young lady and God begins to knit your hearts with her. And you, rule, you, 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 you roll her in, reel her in. And then you say, will you be my wife? And yes, I will. And then marriage comes and wedding day. And then you're married. And then it's like, okay, that's done. What's next? And it's off to the next thing. Where did God create? From where in Adam did God create Eve? You've heard this. He did not take a bone from Adam's foot so he could walk on her. He did not take a bone from Adam's head so she could challenge him. He took a rib. Where is that rib, gentlemen? It's the closest bone to, her, to your heart. Right under your arm. That's where she came from. And that's where she feels the most secure. And that's where she feels the most stable. Man, I, I'm preaching to myself right now as much as I am any other man in this room because if we're not careful, recreation and hobbies and, and even building a church and, and success in ministry or whatever you want to call it, and kids, kids can bump her out of her place. And it should not be. Every wife should know and feel that she is the closest person to her husband's heart. And then what does the scripture say? That every one of you wives see that she reverence her husband. You know what's missing in our Christian homes today? On the part of the wives is respect for their husbands. Reverence them, respect them. God didn't bring Eve to Adam so she could walk around the garden and say, why did you do it that way? Why didn't you do it this way? Maybe you have a better idea, but that's the way he did it. Respect him. Please don't talk down to your, to your husband in front of your children. Please don't do that. Don't talk him down. If you have a problem with something that's going on, wait till you're behind closed doors. Share your heart, but don't sit across the table from little ears and little eyes and talk your husband down. Reverence him. Respect him. That's what God, that's why God created us. 
with a desire, a need for somebody to respect us, reverence us. That's why he gave us a wife. So husbands, love your wives. Wives, reverence your husbands. You get those two things down, I'm going to tell you what, there's other things involved in a marriage relationship, but you get those two things down, you're going to be 80% of the way to having a happy marriage, a strong one. We need to build a strong work ethic. We need to build, uh, we need to accept authority. We need to build strong marriages. And then number four, the righteous need to build strong families. Families. Dad, you got to spend time with the kids. I was saved and went to Bible college, Brother Stowe, at a time period in independent Baptist fundamentalism when the popular saying was, it's not quantity, it's quality. That didn't work. You know what it is? It's both. It's quality and it's quantity. I spend time with those kids. I took Faith Baptist Church. We had four kids. And right away, we got expecting number five. It was a surprise. Then five years later, we had a shock. <laughs> Y'all just had our shock at your church here some weeks ago. <laughs> My wife cried for two and a half weeks <laughs> when she showed up expecting with Cherith. I t- we were talking about, I told that story one time. Cherith looked at her mother when she was young and said, you mean you didn't want me? <laughs> but anyway, uh, I told the church, I said, you know what? You may drive by my house four o'clock in the afternoon, see me outside in a t-shirt and tennis shoes, jeans, playing wiffle ball with the kids, wonder what's that guy, what are we paying that guy to do? I said, I'll make you a promise. I'll work hard. I'll put the time in. I'll study. I'll visit. I'll counsel. I'll do whatever a pastor's supposed to do. But I'm going to take time and spend it with our kids. Amen. You can say what you want to say. Don't leave them out of your life. They're the future. If Jesus stays in heaven, this is the next generation. We don't need to lose any of you. Any. Not one. We need them to follow on in the ways of the Lord. To love God to love their parents, to love their church and pastor and the Sunday school teachers and those that work here. Just need to build strong families. Turn off the idiot box. Turn it off. I've said many, many years, it's not just the presence of the negative through a television, it's the absence of the positive. Because when you're all sitting around watching television, you're on your own little world. Get out Monopoly. Get out Scrabble. Yet little kids pull out memory. Oh, brother, I played so many games of memory. And you, by the way, you don't have to always let them win. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm, look, folks, I know this is not ah, shouting stuff, but what I'm talking about here is right here. Work, authority, marriage, and family. And they are in the crosshairs of the enemy, of uh, the enemies of our nation and of our God. 
And as much as I am for people winning souls and teaching Sunday school classes and being involved in ministry at church and serving God at the local church, I am as much as, much as I am for all those things. We got to work and accept authority and build strong marriages and strong families. Because if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.